Good afternoon and welcome to Mobile Forum's podcast on virtual currencies. I am Elena Matila and I'm the Executive Director of Mobile Forum. For those listeners who are not familiar with Mobile, we are a global not-for-profit industry association empowering banks and other financial institutions to shape the future of digital financial services. In this podcast, we will be outlining some of the factors that banks should take into consideration when taking their first steps on the road to creating their own strategic approach to virtual currencies. The analysis in this podcast is based on discussions in Mobile Forum's virtual currencies expert group over the past year. We have also recently published a report covering these points, and the report is free to download from our website. If you are interested in being a part of these discussions, please get in touch with us at Mumbai Forum. I will now hand over to Paul Rogers from ICPR, the editor of the report. Paul will act as the moderator in this podcast. Thanks, Helena. I'm Paul. I'm an associate director with ICPR, and I'm the agency lead for Mobile Forum's communications team. In recent weeks, have also assumed an editor's role, working with the co-chairs of Mobile's virtual currencies expert group to finalize today's report entitled, What Banks Need to Know About Virtual Currencies Right Now. I'm pleased to say that both the co-chairs are here today to discuss the paper, so let's introduce them. They are Hans-Henrik Hofmeier, co-founder of Coinify and formerly Senior Vice President at Nets Group. Hello, Hans-Henrik. Hi there, Paul. And welcome. And we're also joined by Peter Stevens, CIO of DrumG Technologies, and formerly the head of blockchain and UK group innovation at UBS. Hi, Peter. Hi, Paul. Hi, Hans Henrik. So, firstly, our thanks to you both for contributing your time and your expertise to this project. So, let's dive right in. Peter, we'll come to some of the specifics in the report in a moment, but I guess my first question for you is uh, why do banks need to get smarter about virtual currencies right now? Yes, Paul. Well, the past couple of years have been very much dominated by a price bubble that has caused a real excessive hype and speculation around the cryptocurrency markets. Um, so while the hype is generally viewed negatively, it actually can have a positive impact on the development of a new space because uh, it brings it to the attention of a broader audience and can inspire and uh, also fund a wide range of innovative projects. So while we're seeing the hype is receding along with the prices, we're also seeing that good projects are maturing and we're getting a deeper understanding uh, with both regulators, industry bodies and financial market participants. So this sort of increasing maturity is now starting to create real credible greenfield opportunities to stake a claim in the new markets as they evolve. And so this is something that uh, we're seeing most regulated financial institutions starting to take an interest in. And some of the some parts of the paper are suggesting that banks need to start making decisions about if and whether and, and how to get involved. Um, talk us through the process behind that. Yeah, so you can say it's rarely that um, a theme as big as this uh, comes about uh, in the banking industry. Let's not forget that in principle a, a huge innovation has happened here and, um, and markets are only uh, forming. So everything, as uh, Pete is also alluding to, takes time. But, um, but we can see an acceleration in 
how this new technology is put into uh, use and uh, poor projects are being replaced with better projects and uh, now the entire virtual currency space has evolved around bitcoin but other currencies are also emerging as we are going through in the report as well uh, there are some new themes that banks need to consider and um, i think most banks they have already considered let's say uh, bitcoin and have some views there and has gone through a maturity phase but now as other versions of currencies evolve then bank needs to take a closer look at what is their role in this new virtual currency emerging uh, theme and can they actually put this technology to good use with existing or traditional banking problems such as instant uh, transfers um, and potentially uh, smarter uh, money or smarter contracts regulating uh, relations between between banks. So Hans Henrik, it might be useful for us to backtrack for a moment. The report that we've produced covers both virtual currencies and cryptocurrencies. Um, can you talk a little bit about the differences between the two categories? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, virtual currencies um, is, let's say, finally defined. I think everybody is aware that there's something called digital currencies and that is a representing uh, representing a physical uh, coin or note uh, virtual currencies uh, does not let's say correspond to a physical entity therefore uh, virtual currencies and virtual currencies actually cover quite broadly anything issued by a private uh, developer or private institution uh, and not by a central or national uh, bank Virtual currencies can then have different forms. It can be crypto-based, which is what we know from, from Bitcoin. But in principle, it could also be a centralized, let's say, overwatched uh, coin uh, or uh, virtual currency that is uh, managed uh, from, a central, uh, from a central issuer in a privately uh, issued manner. <clears throat> so, the, so the difference here is that you can say virtual currencies is in principle just a subset of of currencies and digital currencies and a subset of virtual currencies is cryptocurrencies and i think why this is important is that the regulators are now looking to let's say facilitate regulation around virtual currencies on a broad scale and not cryptocurrency specifically so that's also why our report is called virtual currencies because this theme is actually covering more than just the crypto type version of new privately issued currencies. Does that make sense, Paul? It certainly does, yes. And um, Pete, regulation is a, a recurring theme here, um, certainly when looking at different definitions for these new kinds of currencies that are emerging. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about which, which regulations are changing and, and, and the impact they're having right now? Well, so there are some jurisdictions that are writing specific regulations for virtual currencies and sort of digital assets, but actually the majority are putting their effort into understanding how these new assets fit with the existing laws and regulations. Um, one of the obvious friction points here is that uh, the technology underpinning virtual currencies and tokenized digital assets has no concept of geographical borders. So while these assets can move uh, almost without technical friction uh, anywhere across the globe very easily, 
um, they are viewed and treated very differently depending on the physical jurisdiction. Um, banks have not necessarily actively chosen to engage with this ecosystem, but have already found themselves as the sort of perimeter control for the virtual currency ecosystem, as, as they're responsible for providing and controlling uh, the cash accounts that are needed to transfer value to and from traditional state-backed monetary system uh, and the, uh, the the crypto or virtual currency ecosystem. So uh, regulations such as the anti-money laundering, uh, anti-money laundering uh, controls uh, have become very important for banks and, and have uh, uh, put restrictions around what they can do uh, when uh, interacting with uh, virtual currency businesses. And yet in, in several points in the report, we talk about how regulation is starting to prepare the market for banks to enter. Um, Hans Henrik, can you talk to us a little more about that? Yeah, I think that we all know that, that banks are already uh, heavily regulated and, uh, and actually it's one of the core competencies that, that banks have. Uh, this new theme has uh, for a long time been let's say, stigmatized as being uh, an, an so-called unregulated space because there is no clarity in terms of interpretation to, uh, to Pete's point. When it's difficult to put in a box in terms of regulation, then it is considered somewhat unregulated space. Now, what has happened and why banks need to react now is that regulators now understand this and they regulate um, for the purpose of both uh, supporting uh, this new theme, but also providing that clarity that we have been looking for. So there's not so much gray zone anymore. And given that banks are coming from a background where regulation is part of the core competence and the emerging industry is littered with companies that are probably more innovators than, uh, than compliance uh, people, uh, this means that that banks actually has a competitive advantage as this space becomes more regulated. And to Pete's point about the AMLD5, the Anti-Money Laundering Directive 5, this uh, directive has now been updated to include virtual currencies as a general theme in terms of anti-money laundering. And that means that now uh, operators in this industry needs to comply with this uh, regulation, this directive, in order to um, in order to solicit um, their business in a in a proper manner, and that is that is an advantage for banks because that's where they are experienced already is in uh, is is in compliance. And based on this more enabled environment for banks, then Pete, what what new roles do you think do you foresee banks may be able to play in the future? Yeah, well, it's interesting because as the uh, the space matures, we are seeing an element of uh, reinvention of existing roles. Uh, it doesn't mean they are uh, a like-for-like -like, um, uh, comparison, though. But we are starting to see opportunities appear for established players to play roles such as custodian, exchange, broker or advisor um, in these sort of new markets. Um, especially important, uh, you know, for things like uh, having a strong custody capability to be able to secure and hold these digital assets 
uh, to enable um, regulated financial institutions and institutional investors to actually uh, take uh, a part in these markets because they have uh, requirements as, as, how, as how they handle the assets on their books. Um, so, so we're seeing a bit of a race involved both from the sort of startup angle and also from the established financial institution to sort of position themselves well in this new evolving emerging marketplace uh, to, to get themselves ready for when the market matures further. Another point here is that, for instance, payment providers also need to be aware of this emerging scene as uh, new virtual currencies come into the market. Well, some of these virtual currencies are targeting uh, payment uh, specifically, which is a traditional stronghold for, for banks uh, to provide for payments. And here we are seeing that, that certain payment providers can now enable payment in new types of virtual currencies, enabling, for instance, instant uh, transfer of value, uh, let's say, uh, fraud mitigation and dispute mitigations. And, and this is an area where payment providers also need to to step up in terms of what is their role going to be as these new virtual currencies become more uh, available and as more and more consumers uh, starts to own them. Well, how do you uh, how do you facilitate that you actually bring them into play in the market? And here we see that payment providers are now starting to to step up to the plate and looking into this uh, theme, also because there are great profit pools. I mean. Any new emerging space, uh, there is a tendency that the, the profit margins can be higher. Uh, and if you sit with a, a eroding, uh, eroding profit margin, then this space uh, could potentially be something you need to look into. So, Pete, no discussion about virtual currencies would be complete without talking about risk. Um, so, compared to conventional trading, getting involved in this business is fraught with danger for banks, isn't it? In some respects. So being a fast mover in a new space is always risky because there is the risk that things turn out differently from everybody's initial expectations. Uh, uh, but with these risks, often uh, there is an accompaniment of, of greater potential rewards. So in, in this space, we're seeing uh, a real conflicting point of view within individual organizations. Um, so often the risk-taking parts of a business are attracted by the potential upsides uh, that we've seen over the last uh, few years. Whilst at the other side of things, we've seen the control functions have got real significant concerns around a lack of legal and regulatory certainty and any potential financial and reputational downsides that may occur. And, and they don't have a, a lot of historical um, evidence to sort of show that they're performing in 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 uh in a way that uh is is managing the risk um uh, effectively it's interesting also regulators are actually finding themselves conflicted in this way as well because a lot of them have a mandate to both protect investors and consumers but also to support and, and not kill off uh, innovation within their jurisdictions so hans henrik let's talk about asset tokenization there's so much hype around blockchain solutions that it's tough to pinpoint what really matters for banks at the moment. Can we close with some thoughts around this? Yeah, it's funny that uh, that when Bitcoin initially was the main thing on top of the town, uh, then um, the conversation turned over to more being blockchain oriented. And many banks, they got involved in terms of preferring to, to work with blockchain rather than the virtual currency 
that was in principle sitting on top. So, so the whole notion about the blockchain solution has um, has been around for a while, and a lot of banks have let's say tried and worked with the technology to see what opportunities can be solved using this uh, using this technology, and um, and clearly the the whole asset tokenization, which is yeah, to take any sort of asset and tokenizing it and then using the token to move and ensure uh, custody and ownership uh, and transact um, is a great innovation because everybody knows that when you when you digitize something then there's a lot of attributes that you now can use uh, in a digital uh, use case uh, even of a physical asset so asset tokenization is a huge theme around uh, blockchain in general and I think that that what what people are now realizing is that asset tokenization is quite difficult to do because while Bitcoin and the asset of of that value is generated inside the blockchain uh, technology, so to speak, uh, asset tokenization requires you to still have uh, strong uh, entry and exit points from the blockchain because if you tokenize an asset you need to be certain that that asset is, uh, let's say, the ownership to that asset is tokenized in the right way and put on the blockchain. Um, and we all know that the blockchain now is, a, let's say, a source of, of uh, or proof that a certain transaction happened. But how did the asset get there in the first place? And what is the security surrounding that? So I think that that for banks, um, the whole asset tokenization is extremely important uh, theme to get uh, to get your head around, but you still need to be aware that there are uh, significant challenges to this type of of technology and ensuring the security around it. I know Pete, you also have some uh, some views on, on on this theme about asset tokenization and and the security surrounding it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the asset tokenization is is very much the part that's grabbing the, the attention currently from the major established financial market players, really because there is an entirely greenfield opportunity to participate in brand new markets uh, that have been created by the development of sort of token-based market infrastructure. So this infrastructure has the potential to support both sort of digitally native assets, such as virtual currencies, but also token-based representations of more traditional financial assets often referred to as security tokens. So things you know like bonds or structured products, but then tokenized and put on, um, on, on distributed ledger networks. So we are really seeing a lot of increasing activity from established regulated players uh, in this space. So the exchange providers are notably active in exploring the potential for creating new digital asset exchanges and also launching virtual currency related derivative products. And then we're seeing some of the big custodians uh, exploring opportunities to develop new offerings to custody these assets um, and, and enable them to be held on behalf of regulated financial institutions and institutional investors. And then we're seeing banks setting up digital asset groups to explore entirely new business models and client offerings. Um, so the interesting thing about the technology, it, it, it brings the capability to, to sort of move assets around in close to real time uh, and have a single source of truth that's embedded in the network, 
create digital uniqueness, something that hasn't been possible previously uh, in a world where our, our digital world is 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 all around uh, making replicated copies of data. It's always been a, a tricky thing to 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 uh, have uh, unique um, items of value in the digital world, which is, is something this technology brings. Um, so, so th these are um, all of this sort of new infrastructure is is enabling all of the existing players to potentially find uh, new profit pools, but also uh, to to operate uh, existing financial instruments with uh, new efficiencies. Um, the existing financial in, uh, uh, infrastructure has been optimized very heavily over years and years and years, and it's very difficult to eke any more gains out of the infrastructure we already have. Um, and so while it's still quite an experimental phase, the, the, the promise that it can potentially uh, operate in a more efficient and more digitally native fashion is something that uh, all participants are certainly interested in. Yet the jury is still out whether it will achieve uh, the, those efficiencies on, on top of um, what has already been uh, done with existing technologies. So a wide variety of factors touched on in this discussion, and our report really concludes that the combination of all of these factors means that now is the time for banks everywhere to move their strategic evaluation of this market higher up the priority list. Our thanks to Peter Stevens and to Hans-Henrik Hofmeier for their time. And thanks to you for listening. Bye for now.